That's the worst part about teaching at Hume is you come on after awesome videos and people go, aww. Right? Can we try that again? Hey, how you guys doing tonight? It's like game show and then awesome worship band with the most fun worship music of all time, amazing video, and then aww. Okay? Hey, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, let me see them in the air. Let me see them. Let me see them. Okay? We're, we're going to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, grab them, open it up. This is our last night together, y'all. This is the last time we're going to be diving into God's Word. And this story sets us up perfectly for what we want to talk about tonight. Okay, we watched. How many of you, how, how many of you, it took you a second to realize that Moses was dreaming? Anybody? Anybody in the room? You caught it right away? Okay. Hey, for the first time, I remember the first time I watched this, I was like, wait a second, the red cliffs and the rock. And then it was like, oh, okay. But then did anybody else struggle like listening to the like, and some people, you just, anybody get hungry watching that a little bit, teensy bit, okay. This, it's brilliant though. I love the way that Hume set up this conversation as Mose, he doubts himself, right? Mose has had a face-to-face encounter with God. Remember back in Exodus chapter three, at 40 years old, Moses is gonna walk into the presence of God. And he's gonna draw near to this burning bush and he's gonna hear God say, Moses, Moses, I have a plan for your life. And then in the, in the story of Exodus, we see his staff be the thing that allows him to know that God is with him, right? In, in the movie, it's his hat. And we see it happen with the plagues. We saw it happen at the cliffs. He places his hat up against the cliffs and it's this constant understanding and knowledge that God is with them. It's what we talked about last night. It's that God isn't a a distant deliverer, right? He's a present and faithful companion. And the Bible's not just a story about what happened. The Bible's a story about what happens. So when God says, I am who I am, what he's communicating is who I have always been, I will continue to be. You can bank on me. You can, if you get to know and understand the character of God, this isn't just a God that lives up here at Hume. This isn't a, a God that just lives at church or lives in your youth group, right? This is a God that in the quiet of your own room, you can open up his word or you can spend time in prayer. And remember, prayer isn't these and thous. God doesn't speak New King James, right? Prayer is simply spending time with the person who loves you the most. And as we go home, My desire for you is that you keep diving into God's word. You keep worshiping through music. You keep spending time in prayer. You come back together and have some of the same conversations that you've had up here at camp. Because like in this video, the going is going to get tough at some point. The reality is, I know enough about this room to know that at 11, 12, 13 years old, like some of you have already experienced some life. Some of you have already experienced deep pain and moments of anxiety and depression and hardship. But I also know enough about life to realize that most of you haven't faced your hardest day yet. Most of you, the hardest day in your life is still to come. 
And the reason tonight is so important for us to dive into God's word and understand who God is, is there was a line in, in here that I absolutely love that we, when we were watching it, and it was this line. It's when God is speaking to Moses, and he says this. He says, it will always be, it will always be hard to trust me if you do not remember my love. It will always be hard to trust me if you do not remember my love. And we talked about this a little bit last night. Right? I said that uh, God asks us to remember certain things. Why? Why? <laughs> Boom. Because we forget. Right? I love it. God asks us to remember. Right? God even goes far enough to like, there's moments in, in the Bible that I absolutely love. Like there's, there's this moment in the book of Joshua where they cross over a river and God provides a way for them. And then he goes, ah, 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 stop, 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 stop. Go back into the river. And what I want you to do is I want you to take a bunch of rocks and I want you to pile them up right here. And then in generations to come when they ask, hey, what's that pile of rocks? That's when you can look at those rocks and remember that God provided a way out. You would think, if you're anything like me, you would think that the nation of Israel, after being led by like a pillar of fire and like a pillar of cloud, and like Moses takes his staff and puts it in the Red Sea and water goes up and they walk across the Red Sea on dry land and then the greatest military presence on planet Earth chases after them and gets swallowed up by that Red Sea, you would think they would be confident and trust that God. Wouldn't you think? Numbers 11. Verse 4. The rabble with them. <laughs> Don't you love that? <laughs> like, Moses writes this, okay? Moses is the author of what we call the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Moses writes the rabble among them. He refers to the people of Israel as rabble, okay? That's great. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Get this, okay? Don't miss this. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, the melons, which, by the way, who craves cucumbers, right? Like that's, okay, y'all are weird. Y'all are weird. Rabble, rabble, rabble. All of you are rabble, okay? Also, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We have never seen anything but this manna. Okay, can, can I just go back here? If only we had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate at no cost. Hey, I went to Biola University, a private Christian university that costs way too much money. Hey, I'm, I'm still paying for Biola University because I'm the youngest of four children, and by the time I went to college, my parents went, sorry. Hey, and so I worked my way through school. I played soccer. I was on a bunch of scholarships. But Biola costs, I, like when I was going to Biola, I think it costs somewhere in the realm of like $45,000 a year. Okay? It's a ridiculous amount of money. But I, rem I still remember this. At my orientation week, at my orientation week, we showed up at, to freshman orientation and they had these little red Bibles. They were like, yay big, okay? And it was a little red Bible and they handed it to us and they said, hey, we want to give you this as a free gift. And they handed it for me, to me and I went, 
<laughs> free? You mean this is like a $45,000 Bible <laughs> times four, because this is a four-year education, right? Like, like, it's not free at that point. They're like, here's a t-shirt and a Bible. I'm like, mm, thanks, <laughs> right? Like, that's a very expensive Bible. Hey, let me read this again for you. If only we had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Do you remember what the Israelites were in Egypt? Slaves. So the fish that they ate in Egypt came at the cost of what? Their freedom. They were slaves. It cost them their entire lives. But when the going got tough, when life was no longer easy breezy, when they weren't on the other side of the Red Sea singing a worship song, looking back at the Red Sea with an obvious experience of God, when life got hard, when they were wandering in the desert, they went, can we just go back to Egypt? What? Can we just go back to cucumbers and melons and fish? We had those at no cost. Yeah, except your life. But friends, here's the scary part. I know way too many people, and I know my own story, and I know my own life, that when the going gets tough, when the rubber meets the road, when life strikes, when reality is right in front of you and you experience loss and you experience pain, right? Maybe it's in your families, maybe it's in a, a, a friend group, right? When, when life gets hard, the question will stand, do you actually trust God? Have you surrendered your life to him as Lord and handed over the steering wheel to him or was it just kind of a nice idea when you were at this place called Hume? Was it just kind of a part of what you did because you went to a Christian school? Was it, well, I, I grew up in a Christian family and so that, I guess that makes me a Christian. Was it, was it a little cross emoji in, in, in your bio Right? Was it a part of you that just went like, no, yeah, for sure, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm American. Right? These go hand in hand. Friends, the, you know, as a pastor, these are the, the top three questions I get consistently. Number one, what do I do when God doesn't seem good? It doesn't feel like he's very good. I know I can read he's good in here, but according to my life right now, he doesn't seem very good. Number two, why do bad things happen to good people? I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. I'm doing all the right things. I, I've, I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. Why did the cancer diagnosis still come? Why did I lose a close person to me? Why am I experiencing brokenness? Why do bad things happen to good people? And number three, what do I do when it doesn't seem like God is in control? And I look around me and I go, okay, I, I understand up here maybe that God's in control. And you go, no, for sure, he has a plan, but what about me? I feel forgotten. I feel like he's not hearing my prayers. Life is hard right now. What do you do with this? Psalm chapter 119, verse 105, write that reference down. Psalm 119, 105 says this. Your word is a lamp for my feet, and a light on my path. 
Familiar verse, right? Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe your grandma has it like crocheted, hanging on her wall. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Friends, you know how much you can see with a lamp? Not much, right? It's like, it's like enough to see the, the next step, right? If you got like one of those old school lamps, you know what I'm talking about? The ones that are like, like, a, like actual flame lamps. If you got one of those, yeah, like a lantern, and you're holding it out in front of you, how much can you see? Like enough to, enough to take like one step, maybe like 10 feet in front of you. And, and Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is like a, it's like a lantern. It's like a lamp for my feet and a light for my path so that I can see what the next step is. Hey, I'm, I, I drive a big truck. You've probably seen me riding around on my dirt bike. Like I like, I like uh, off-roading. I like four by fouring. You know what I wish Psalm 119, 105 said? I wish it said, your word is like a light bar for my path. It's like a really bright Baja design light bar, like just thousands of lumens, and I just wanna go, God, what is, what's your plan for my life? Like, can you just light it up, all of it? Right, you ever like, been out to the desert, been on a path before, you ever seen one of those trucks go by and they like, put up the light bar and you can just see like, so far into the future? Stay with me, we're good, stay with me, okay? You can just see so far, like, it, the path, like, it's like it's the middle of the day. One of those trucks that just like lights up, you know what I'm talking about? You ever driven past one of those and you're like, I'm blind, <laughs> I can't see, I can't see anything. Okay, that, that's what I wish Psalm 119 said. I wish it said, God is gonna reveal exactly what he's doing, exactly where he's going, his exact plan for your life and my life. But it doesn't say that. It says your word's like a lamp for my feet, sometimes God is revealing one step at a time what he wants from you. And it's up to you and it's up to me to make these little one degree course corrections like we were talking about last night and remembering that God loves you first and foremost. Why? Go back to this, this quote. It will always be hard to trust me if you do not remember my love. Hey Moses, remember how old he was when he, when he entered into the burning bush, remember that? 40, it's 40 years old, okay? Moses would wander in the desert, or sorry, Moses was 40 years old when he, when he murdered the Egyptians. Some of you were like, he lied, okay? When he murdered the Egyptian, he was 40. When he was at the burning bush, he was 80, good, okay? Then they're gonna wander in the desert for 40 years. For 40 years, they're going to wander in the desert. Moses is going to be 120 years old before he even lays eyes on the promised land. This is a long time. It's a long process. And when the Israelites are wandering in the desert, my hunch, friends, from reading this passage, from reading this story, is that it took 40 years not to get Israel out of Egypt. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. What do I mean by that? Okay, if you look at a map, from where they were traveling in Egypt to where they were going in Israel, on foot, if you were moving like molasses, okay, and there were a couple million Israelites, old people, women, children, ox carts, like it's, it's not like they were moving quickly, but if they were moving like molasses, that journey would have taken them about three months. So it wasn't like a direct route from Egypt to Israel that God had them on. 
It didn't take 40 years because they were crossing some massive landscape. It took them 40 years because God was in process with them. He was teaching them. He was walking with them. There was some consequence of sin in there. But so much of this 40 years was God demonstrating, this is who I am and this is what I'm like and will you remember that I love you and will that love create a trust in you? See, so often when you and I are in the wilderness of our life where we're asking maybe some of those questions of God doesn't seem very good or he doesn't seem in control, too often we ask the question, when will I get out of this season? When will I get out of this wilderness? Instead of asking the question, what will I get out of this wilderness? Maybe God's trying to teach you something. Maybe God's trying to demonstrate something to you. Do you remember this book right here, The Greatest Story Ever Told? 66 books, 40 authors, over 2,000 years, three languages, three continents, all telling one story. There's a handful of people in here that God taught a thing or two in the waiting. Y'all remember the story of Noah? What did Noah build? An ark, okay? You know how long it took Noah to build that boat? It was roughly, right, scholars will kind of argue, but it was roughly between 100 and 120 years. Do you think, my friends, there may or may not have been a time around year like 74 where he was like, tink, tink, tink. It's been a really long time. And there's not a lot of rain. And this is a really big boat. You think there was ever a moment where he doubted? You think there was ever a moment where he went, God, you don't really seem in control. Like, are you sure? Like, did I hear you right? This is a really big boat. 120 years it would take, he was in the waiting. It was this process It was a lamp for the next step in front of him. It was small instructions to say, this is how you just walk out life daily. In this wrestle, this battle with doubts and fears, in these moments of insecurities of going, I don't fully know if this is where I'm supposed to go. Friends, so much of the waiting is remembering that God loves you deeply and then letting that love create a trust in you. King David One of the most prominent characters in scripture, he would get anointed as king and he would have to wait 22 years until he would actually sit on the throne. That's double some of your lives. Like the entire time that you've existed on earth, multiply that times two, God tells him something one day and he waits 22 years before it comes into reality. I had a guy named Joseph. He gets in this kind of bickering argument with his siblings, right? Where are my youngest siblings at in the room, okay? Me too, okay? I hear you. Okay, he's the youngest sibling and he's got some pride issues, right? He, he has the dream once upon a time where he tells all of his brothers that they're gonna bow down to him someday. That doesn't go over super well. And so they get, they get in this like heated argument. His brothers are super annoyed with him and they go, oh, we can't stand Joseph. In Genesis chapter 39, you can read this for yourself if you want. And he's going, we can't stand Joseph. Let's kill him. Okay? Honestly, Genesis 39, read it for yourself. I don't know about you, 
but there's never been an argument for me with my siblings. And we've had some like intense arguments. Like we've, we've gone head to head like multiple times, but there's never been a moment where I got with my other siblings and went like, all right, Amber's really driving us crazy. Let's kill her, right? Like it's never gotten to that point. But in Genesis chapter 39, this is what happens. His brothers go, we're done with him. Right, dreamer boy, we're over it. And they go, let's kill him, and they throw him into this pit, and then Reuben, one of the brothers, goes like, easy, guys, let's not kill him, let's sell him into slavery. As if that's better, right? So he gets sold into slavery, and then we read this story in Genesis, okay? In, he gets sold into slavery, he goes into this guy's house named Potiphar, and it seems like this is what God was doing in his life. It seems like things are getting turned around in his life. And Joseph rises up the ranks in Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife is going to lie to her husband about Joseph, and it's going to land him in prison. And then he's going to go to prison, and he's going to be, and this isn't like a three square meals and like bench press and wear an orange jumpsuit prison. Like this is an Egyptian prison, and, and like life goes from bad to worse, and from the moment he gets sold into slavery to the moment that it would become obvious what God was doing in his life, it would be this 17-year gap. He said, why do I tell you all these years? Why do I give you this span? Because I can guarantee, my friends, look at me real quick. I can guarantee there's gonna come a moment in your life, or maybe for six months, maybe for six years, you're gonna start asking these questions God, it doesn't seem like you're very good right now. Why are these bad things happening when I'm doing all of the right things? And on this side of heaven, God doesn't promise that your life is going to be happy. He doesn't promise comfort. He doesn't promise physical health. No, it's, it's quite the opposite. You know what Jesus said to his disciples? He says, in this world you will find trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. In the person of Jesus, our hope doesn't lie in our physical health. Our hope doesn't lie in how full our bank account is. Our hope doesn't lie in our popularity. Our hope doesn't lie in our success and how many homes we can own and how many kids we're going to have and what marriage we're going to have. Our hope doesn't lie in any of those things. We have an eternal hope. John chapter 17, verse three, this is eternal life that you know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Any football fans in the house? Anybody like the NFL? Anybody like Tom Brady? Okay, let me ask a better question. Let me ask a better question. Anybody not like Tom Brady? Okay, okay. Regardless of your feelings towards Tom Brady, regardless of your feelings, he's like undeniably the goat, right? Like undeniably. You can boo all you want, right? But the greatest of all time is not defined by your boos, right? The greatest of all time is defined by championships and MVPs and he's got it, okay? Super Bowl 51, Super Bowl 51, 2017. Tom Brady was playing against the Atlanta Falcons, okay? And in the third quarter, friends, in the third quarter with eight minutes and 30 seconds left, Tom Brady was down 28 to three. 28 to three. Now, if you know anything about football, if you're watching a game in the 
third quarter with eight minutes left and the score is 28 to three. If it's me watching, typically I'm like, next, right? Like that game is over. Never before in the history of Super Bowls has there been a, a comeback deficit of 28 to three, right? 25 points, it's impossible to come back unless you're the GOAT, okay? And you, if you were watching this game like I was watching this game, and Matty Ice goes down and scores his fourth touchdown in the third quarter, and it goes to 28 to three, you kind of go, well, this game's over. And then Tom Brady gets the ball back, and he throws a touchdown, and it's 28 to 10, and you go, okay, who cares, right? And if you're watching this game, you just go like, what, this game's over. But it wasn't. Right? Tom Brady scores, and then he scores again, and then he scores again, and then he scores again. Pretty soon, the score is 28 to 28, and this game goes to overtime. Hey, this game would end 34 to 28 Patriots in overtime. And the, the entire region of New England, while they were losing their minds, the entire state of Georgia was crying and the city of Atlanta was on their knees going, why did Tom Brady exist? And the rest of America watching the Super Bowl was just like, what did I just watch, right? Like, what did I just see? Hey, but, but here's the crazy part. I was watching this Super Bowl, and I had a friend that, that uh, DVR'd it. He taped it. And so he went, hey, I don't want to know anything about this game, okay? And if, you ever, if you've ever, like, tried to watch a sporting event that you've already seen with somebody who hasn't seen it, if you're anything like me, it's, like, really difficult. The entire time, I'm like, check this out. Wait for this. I'll bet you five bucks he, throws, he runs a slant, right? Like, I'm, like, I'm the worst in those scenarios, okay? But I'm, I was re-watching this game with my, my friend that taped it. And we're sitting there, and in the third quarter, he's like, dude, this is dumb. Like, let's just turn it off. And I'm like, don't, you're not going to want to do that, right? Like, just, just, and he's like, dude, don't ruin anything. I'm like, I'm not ruining anything, but just wait. And then Tom Brady scores again, and he looks at me, and I'm like, just wait, just wait. And then Tom Brady scores again, and I'm like, <laughs> and then Tom Brady scores again, and then he ties it up 20-28, and I'm like, bro, just wait, just wait. And then he finished that game and I got to re-watch like all of America lose its mind like in my buddy. And I went, right? It was bananas. And here's the crazy part. Greatest story ever told. That's hardly ever told in its entirety. We know how this story ends. John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years and died and resurrected and went back to heaven, but he said, I will be back. See, Jesus is coming back, and there will be a day where there will be no more tears, and there will be no more pain, and there will be no more brokenness, and there will be no more famine, and there will be no more war. And none of this will be present again. There will be a day when Jesus returns and rights every wrong. But friends, on this side of Jesus' returning, you and I, 
as followers of Jesus, we have to do a good job of looking each other in the eyes and saying, just wait. Just wait. Right? Why could I sit with such confidence in the third quarter when my friend didn't know anything about this game? Why could I sit there with such confidence and say, just wait? I knew I'd already seen it. I knew how the story ended. I'd already watched it. You and I, as readers of God's word, as understanders of who he is and his plan and his character, we can know how the story ends. And in the deepest, darkest moment of your life, when pain, struggle, hardship, when it hits, you and I can look at each other and go, friend, just wait. Jesus is coming back and we can bank on that. Because he said, I am who I am and who he always has been, he always will be. But it'll be really hard to trust in that, guard, in that God if we don't remember his love. Pray with me. God, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for your word that we can trust in who you are and we can trust in your character, we can trust in your name. God, I know and I, I realize and I understand that maybe most of us in this room can hear a message like this and maybe it doesn't hit us right now. Maybe it even doesn't mean a whole lot right now. But God, I pray that if and when hardship does strike, when the going gets tough, God, may we not be like Israel and forget so easily. May we be people that remember. May we be people that encourage one another to remember. May we come alongside our brothers and sisters when they're going through something tough and say, just wait. We know who our God is. We know that he is love. And we can bank on that love and we can trust in him because he is who he says he is and that will never change. We love you. It's your name we pray.